May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So there's an old story that's been told, and I've heard it many, many times, about a a very wealthy man. And he worked hard. He toiled and he sweat and he worked extra hours in order to accumulate wealth. Now, you know the old story with wealth, correct? You can't take it with you. Well, this, this person was so tied to his wealth that he wasn't going to take no for an answer, as it were. He was going to figure out a way. If anybody, he was so confident in his own ability, if anybody was going to figure out a way to take it with them, he would, okay? So he had this brilliant idea that he was going to take and liquidate Just before he died, he was going to liquidate his whole estate and he was going to turn it into gold bricks and he was going to have the the mortician put all of the gold bricks in the casket with him. Okay? Imagine how heavy that would be for one. So they do as he wishes, they lower him in the ground, they have his service and then flash ahead some length of time, and there he stands at the pearly gates, and he's carrying, you know, pushing this enormous wheelbarrow loaded with gold bricks. And he rolls up, and St. Peter says, well, welcome, we've been waiting for you. But then he kind of looks over his glasses, and he sees the wheelbarrow, and he, and he asks, well, what's that? What are those for? And he said, well, this is what I've earned in my life, and I wanted to, 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 to bring it with me. And he looks again, St. Peter does, and he said, well, gosh, that's really generous of you, but we have all the paving bricks that we need. <laughs> yeah, I know, that was an awful long way for a payoff, okay? But this, this image of heaven, okay, we have these these like cultural images of heaven, you know, fluffy clouds, angels flying around and singing and harps, and everybody's just having the time of their life. You know, that's kind of a standard sort of image. But the truth of the matter is, is we don't know. We don't know what heaven looks like But the funny thing about that, even though we don't know what heaven looks like, it doesn't stop us from imagining what heaven might look like. How many wonderful, brilliant, beautiful movies have we seen that have sought to portray an image of heaven? You know, the Disney Pixar Pixar movie, Soul, if you've seen that, it's a lovely movie. Uh, Heaven can wait, what dreams may come. There are all of these images of heaven, and they're beautiful, and they're wonderful, and they're poetic, but still, at the end of the day, we don't know. Could be, okay? But I think we all have images, don't we? Nod your head, okay? We all have images. I've heard lots of people over the years say, well, heaven must have fill in the blank. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, You know, you don't have to get into great detailed theological, you know, discourse, 
But what does, what does heaven, from your standpoint, from your life and your experience, what does heaven absolutely have to have for you? Peace, yes. Love. Giant swimming pool, right? A museum. Music, yes, a music. Well, museum too. Singing, love. Knowledge. Family, friends, okay. You guys are being like really esoteric, okay? Anybody out there think that heaven has to have a golf course? Come on, fess up. Fess up. I can't imagine heaven without a golf course or a fishing pond, gluten-free donuts. Yes, absolutely gluten-free donuts. I miss donuts. What about, and I heard some of you mention, and I'm not going to ask you to like, necessarily name them, but think about the people. Think about the people. The people that you, the people that you want to see. I think about my mom. You know, and I think about my grandparents. You know, I miss them. I miss them a lot. My paternal grandparents have been gone for 40 years. I miss them. Don't, aren't there people that you miss and that you hope that in the mystery of God's great mercy that you'll see them again? That's a very natural hope that we have. You know, because somehow that love endures we don't know why, and sometimes that enduring love um, can hurt. It brings us pain because we realize how much we miss them. And that's just, that's just part of the human condition. And it's okay. It's natural. You know, even though we can't conceive really or understand the mechanics of heaven, that concept, or eternal life doesn't mean that we can't point to it, that we can't connect with even a limited version of what that is. You know, and Paul spends a lot of time in his letters trying to unpack and help people to understand the what comes next question. I mean, I would suspect that most of us have had that question at one time in our life, either as we faced a, a chronic illness or um, faced cancer and gone through treatments or been a caregiver for a spouse or a parent or a child, and that, that, that existential wondering of what comes next. What does it really look like? And again, even though we can't pin it down, Paul, even with his limited theological understanding and the limitations of human language, points to it. He sends us in a direction. And he starts with the text that I read uh, to the Ephesians. He starts with this idea of receiving an inheritance, that we have a, a gift that is being given to us, that is being offered freely to us. 
It is a gift that is sealed in our life and our faith by the movement of God's Holy Spirit. And it is, it, is a, it is an image and an idea that is given to us through Christ, and it is rooted in Christ's own practice and sharing and living of self-giving love. And the inheritance that we receive that's sealed by the Holy Spirit and given to us through Christ is the way to connect with God, but to connect with one another through this thing we call agape in the Greek, self-giving love. And he points to another image of this love. It's, it's in the end of the um, eighth chapter of his letter to the church in Rome. And he talks about, you know, the sufferings that the early church went through and the persecutions. And he says, I, 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 I know that the sufferings that we have right now are not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. That there's something beyond this moment. There's something beyond what we experience here. And he talks about this in terms of the love of God. And, you know, Paul being the, you know, he was a Pharisee, which meant that he was a lawyer in a sense, and I know that we have attorneys in the crowd, okay, so just bear with me a little bit. But, but Paul knew the law. Paul knew the law. And like any good attorney, he goes through and he starts to make his case. For I am convinced that, that famine or nakedness or persecution or peril or sword, that none of these things can separate us. And he goes through what is a pretty exhaustive list, but just to hedge his bets, he says, for I am convinced that nothing in life, in death, or in all creation, you know, that all creation bit in case he'd forgotten anything, I am convinced that there is nothing in life, nor death, nor anything else in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love. That love is eternal. That love lives forever. That love lives forever in us, and through us. And when we understand the nature of God's love for us, we begin to see things shift a little bit in our understanding of eternal life and our understanding of heaven. And we begin to pull back from this notion that heaven is about geography, that heaven is a, a place that we go to. And whether or not that is I, I, I choose to believe that there will be a place, even though I can't name it and I don't understand the mechanics of it. What makes a difference in my own life and my own faith when it comes to heaven and eternal life, that it's not so much a geography that in this moment I can't understand, that heaven is about the quality and the character of our relationships our relationship with God, our relationship with one another within the community of faith, our relationships with people outside of the community of faith, our relationship with all of creation. That eternal life is about an eternal love. 
that love that has been shown to us through Christ and sealed within us as an inheritance by the Holy Spirit, that's heaven. That's eternal life. And the really important thing to, to kind of wrap our mind around, another image of heaven is that somehow heaven is over the horizon. That eternal life begins, you know, out there when we shake off this stuff, this mortal coil and that image of God, that divine spark that is created within us when it is released from the bondage of humanity, that that's when heaven begins, that that's when eternal life begins. But Paul is pointing us to something different. We can begin to experience heaven and eternal life now by the ways that we love God and by the ways that we love one another as we live into this image of agape this image of eternal life this image of self-giving love this image that Matthew in his gospel talks about when he says um, when they're saying when when in the parable of the, the the judgment at the end of Matthew 25 and the people say, well, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or gave you something to eat or drink or visited you? And he said, whenever you do this to the least of these who are members of my family, you do it to me. When we commit ourselves to living that life, and not just living it as a thing to check off, but living into it, that every day we learn and grow the lessons of life and faith, we begin to experience this idea of eternal life in a new way. And it's part of what we celebrate here today. This church is 136 years old, 1887, is that when it was established? Any history wonks out there help me? It says it on... 1887, okay, I remembered that right. 1887, so 136 years. We are part of a legacy of faith that is over a century within this community of faith, within the larger Coronado community in the world. We stand literally on the shoulders of giants of the faith. And they are here they, are, they can't help but be a part of who we are and what we do. Their legacy of life and faith continues to shape us now, today. We may not always see it. We may not always feel it. But the reality is, is that it happens that way. And that legacy is a gift and like any gift we receive, we are called to be stewards of that gift. Are we living out the legacy of faith that we have inherited? Are we living it faithfully? And that's a question that we ask ourselves every single day. I want to close with a story, with a, story a story that has kind of helped crystallize this idea for me. 
So when I was growing up, um, when I was finishing high school and in Escondido, member of First Methodist Church, which again, incidentally, if you know, it's basically the same design as this. It's a larger version of it. So I used to sit up in the balcony right there. The high schoolers, we'd all sit up in the balcony. And we had one of my good friends. Um, his parents would sit behind us, and they were great people. Gordon and Mary Alice Boyce were um, educators, and they were just the best. Mary Alice would sit behind us and not just like shush us. You know, sometimes she'd join us, but most of the time she was just there and was always a presence and a very, very good friend. And I didn't know enough, a, a, a lot about Mary Alice's life before I knew her when her, she and her family moved to Escondido to raise their family. Flash forward from 1980, the early 1980s, to 2000. A lot has happened in the 20 years. I've gone to seminary, I've been ordained, I've been serving in the church by 2000, I'd been under appointment for 11 years, and I go to the Murrieta Church. And I'm serving the Murrieta Church, and it's a wonderful old congregation with a lot of history. Actually, it began in 1886, but you know, the one year at this stage doesn't make that much difference. And Mary Alice came to me shortly after we were down in Escondido for something, and she said, I'm so glad that you are in Murrieta. I said, oh, why is that? She said, that's my home church. Her grandparents were charter members of the church. And I was, I was really surprised. I didn't quite know what to say. And it took me a while to process it. But as I began to understand the history and the people and the legacy of ministry in the Murrieta church, I began to see the points of connectivity and the legacy that was Mary Alice's life and faith from this church that had been her family church by that time for almost 100 years. And here's what I came to realize is that the community in Murrieta and that church and that legacy of ministry were shaping me in life and in faith through Mary Alice before I even felt called to ministry. And it's still a bit of a mystery to me, kind of how all of that works, but I finally reached the point in my life as I don't have to understand the mechanics of it. I can just trust that it is that God had been at work in my life preparing me for a life of ministry and to lead and to be with that congregation. Not predestination. <laughs> I had free will to say no, but I said yes. And in the midst of all of the yeses that came from when I was in high school to 2000 when I joined as pastor of that church, all of those yeses were opportunities for grace to prepare me to lead a church that I had already known but didn't know it. Friends, that is an image of the church eternal, the church that carries through for us even today. 
the church that gathers with us at Christ's table, that the, the saints that we would name in our hearts, those people that we wish to see when we come to share the elements of the Eucharist, the church eternal will be there to share the gift with us. What an amazing, what an amazing gift of grace that is. And for all of God's gifts, we say thanks be to God. Amen.